So let's begin, uh, or where we're going to begin, is not the book of Matthew, uh, since this is our first Sunday of the new year, 2021. We're actually going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to be doing what we'll call the State of the Church Address. And so um, this is where we will reflect back. We'll talk about uh, how we got here and that kind of thing. And I was just kind of praying through uh, how to do that um, this week as we were coming into uh, the new year. And this is what the Lord gave me in Revelation. So Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 19, as I was pondering on, on what to share with you guys, um, the book of Revelation is one of those difficult-to-understand, uh, you know, kind of books for most people. Like, there's weird symbolism and all, all these characters, and, and John is, gets these amazing visions, and yet uh, we, we let it confuse us, but the reality to the book of Revelation is uh, it's a singular revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Much like as we gather here, we are all about the revealing of Christ, singularly, Him and Him alone. And then uh, also, uh, John gives us an outline at the very beginning of the book. So in verse 19, this is what he is told by the Lord, to write these things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And so the book of Revelation actually breaks down in three uh, very nice, neat little areas. The things which you have seen, John, report on what you've seen from the past, uh, report on the things which are, the way things are currently, and then the things which uh, are to come. And so I don't want to get into a whole uh, Bible study on Revelation here this morning, but instead that's to give you an outline for today. We're going to look at the things uh, which I have seen, which have taken place, uh, the things which are, the way things currently stand, and the things which uh, are to come. And so to do that, we're going to begin uh, with my testimony. And so uh, my testimony, uh, I want to be clear before we get into it, it, it this is really uh, Jesus' uh, testimony as he works through my life. And so um, I, I want to be clear because if I'm not careful, it can be all about me and uh, all about Angela and I. And, and one of my favorite authors, a guy named Eugene Peterson, when he was talking about uh, salvation and this journey that we go through in his book, uh, The Contemplative Pastor, he wrote that, that we go through this life as active participants. I love that phrase, uh, that, that the sovereignty of God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. His will is going to be done. And yet, our free will comes into play that we get to be active participants in this process. And so I want to be clear again about my testimony. It's really just his testimony, his working in my life. So to begin, we're going to talk about the early years. I grew up in the little town of Casey, Illinois. It wasn't the small town with big things back then. It was just a small town uh, with no big things. So uh, not a lot of excitement. But I grew up in Clark County uh, my whole life, and uh, we were one of those families that was always at church. We were constantly at the Casey First Baptist Church. We were there uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesdays. We were, we were there, that, that prototypical church family. We went and we did. My dad was a deacon, and this is just how we operated. We served. I didn't know any better than to be at church. And yet the driving thing in my life uh, was this word success. What does success mean? look like? How can I attain it? And for me, success ultimately looked like uh, my grandfather's. And so I had these two uh, wonderful influences, my uh, maternal grandfather, Doyle Conley, and, and for him, uh, success, or for, for my eyes, 
he was a businessman, and he was a contractor, and he had a Conley building systems out on the west side of Casey, and he had Conley gravel, and, and uh, he built things all over, and he was this uh, hard charger, and the, there was no project that he didn't think he could tackle. And so if it was building the water treatment plant in town, he'd never done one before, but he figured if man could draw it, I could build it. And so he did that. Whether it was the, the Evapco plant in Greenup, he built the original Evapco facility. And so I, I got to watch and, and just be enamored by the way he would force success to happen. And so that was a part of my life that was influential. And then my uh, paternal grandfather, Mo Ashley, which I've mentioned to you guys before, was this larger-than-life character. He was, I literally looked up to him my whole life. He was a 6'5", 300 pound. He was a big man, big personality that filled up the room, uh, but he was also at the same time of being, you know, this, this college football player that was, you know, this mountain of a man, he was also the smartest man I ever knew. He was an engineer in a day where very few people went to school to get an engineering degree. Uh, you know, he had a degree in petroleum engineering from Missouri School of Mines and Metallurgy. And so he was also an entrepreneur. He owned uh, Ashley Oil. And so I had these two men that I viewed as success in my life. And in any way uh, I was going to be successful, I had to pursue that. And so my career uh, started off that way, where I was going to pursue success. I got a degree in engineering uh, from the University of Illinois. I got my first job out of school. Uh, Angela, who was enamored with me from the time she saw me in high school. Let me tell you, she saw me coming out of the weight room, and she was like, what in the world? Look at that. And then she saw me standing behind that guy. She's like, no, I'm kidding. You'll catch up. It's okay. Um, no, so, so we dated from high school. We, we decided after I got out of college, though, it would be a great idea to get married because when you're 20 and 22, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Let's go get married. I got a job. We're going to be rich. And then we realized we were not rich. Like, it turned out when we had an apartment over here that was $600 a month, we didn't have no more money. That was it. Uh, but the, the pursuit of success was the thing that really drove me. And so eventually where I found myself was working as an engineer in construction. So you can see kind of the combination of, my, of, of the things that influenced me taking place. So I, I wind up at a place called Curry Construction where, uh, oddly enough, they end up making me the vice president of the company at 25. And so the, 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 the trajectory for me was just out of this world. Like for a kid from Clark County, this shouldn't be happening. And so if you fast forward about 8 to 10 years, uh, what you find is that all this, uh, all this direction and all this desire to, to be successful and to make money, uh, where it ended us was with the American dream. Like we had it going on. By this time, we had three children, right? They had the perfect little family. I bought my wife the house you see on the screen. Like, this was the place to be. Like, everything was going in the right direction, except there was no peace, <laughs> none. Like, there was no, none of the happiness that we were supposed to have. In fact, our marriage was on the rocks. We were growing completely apart. I, I thought I was giving her everything she wanted, and, and, and yet I was never there. <laughs> I was never there to enjoy any of it. Uh, work days were 12, 13 hours, and even when I was home, I wasn't really present. And so uh, in order to deal with the frustration and the, the, the uh, disappointment, that's the way I would put it, it was a state of eternal disappointment, uh, I turned to alcohol. That, this was my way of dealing with how come things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. And so the, the, the frustration just mounted, and I needed a way, an outlet to deal with it. 
And so uh, up till this point, we had been attending church. We had been, you know, continually involving ourselves in church things, and yet there was no uh, relationship that I felt like I could turn to uh, outside of a bottle. And so this is, this is where I ended up. I'm a functioning alcoholic, now living the American dream. We've got all this going on. And so uh, the decision was made for me to, uh, to relocate. So at this point, I had left working for Curry. I was working for uh, Rule King. And again, they, they elevated me quickly. I was the vice president of business development for this big company, and yet still no uh, satisfaction. Me and Mick Jagger ain't got no satisfaction. And so the, the decision was made for us to relocate to Farmington, Missouri. We were going to get a fresh start on life. That's what we needed was a fresh start where we could get you know, things squared away again. And so in September of 2015, we moved to Farmington, Missouri. Uh, the problem with that was uh, our problems moved with us. I thought we left those on this side of the Missouri or the Mississippi River. Uh, we took them with us to Farmington. Uh, but we arrived, and, and it was going to be this unbelievable, you know, clean slate, fresh start. And, and day one went pretty well, but by day two of the new business that I'd started with these business partners to be contractors and developers and, and move and shake the world, uh, day two I was approached in my office by the controller. And this young lady came in and she said, hey, I'm going to need your portion of the company's uh, uh, expenses for the month. I'm going to need it today. This is September the 2nd. Like, oh, you need the whole month, like right now. Uh, I had the construction checkbook, so she needed some, some uh, she needed me to sign a check. So why do you need that? She said, well, I need it for payroll. I'm like, okay, but payroll isn't until the 15th, and uh, I get the largest check on payroll, and I'm not getting paid, so what do you mean you need money for payroll? And she said, well, uh, after pressing her just a little bit, she said, well, it turns out I actually need the money to pay last week's payroll. <laughs> We're short, like a lot. So immediately I understood that everything that I had been promised, all these uh, plans that we'd made with this new partnership, uh, they were a complete sham. <laughs> there, was, there was actually no money, which it turns out to run a business, you need money. I know if you're writing down, jot that one down if you're going to go into business. Uh, so our fresh start ended up being a very soured start two days uh, into this. And, and you can imagine uh, if I had turned to alcohol because I was struggling with, with a lack of satisfaction, just how badly things got for me at this point in time. So it, it really spun downhill relatively quickly as our dream became a nightmare. I mean, I, I, took my, I left my executive job to be essentially unemployed, and I took my family away from everyone they knew, and the only people we did know were our neighbors two doors down, who, by the way, was my business partner that just cheated us. So it wasn't great. Um, now, in the meantime, what also was taking place in the background is my wife had begun to uh, attend homeschool PE. She was homeschooling our kids, and so she met these uh, ladies there, and, and she is an interactive person. If you've not talked to Angela, she loves people and to talk, and she's the opposite of me in a lot of ways. And so she, she was engaging, but she didn't have anybody to talk to. So these ladies, they, they start this conversation, and she asked them, like, where do you go to church? So they said, well, we go to this church called Parkland Chapel. And she began to work on me. Can we go to church? Can we go? Can we go? And uh, we hadn't been, I think, in about six years. Our daughter was six. We pretty well quit by the time she was born. And so I, I said, no, no, no. Listen, if you will shut your mouth I will go with you. That's how kind and loving I was. Like, listen, woman, if you would just zip it, 
I will go. And so, in an effort to get her to stop talking, I went to church. And we ended up at this little place called Parkland Chapel, uh, which was a, a small church on the edge of town, these two awful-looking green buildings. I'm thinking, look, you got the Baptist church in town, you got the Methodist church, all of them got nice buildings, and yet you took me to two pole barns on the edge of town. The place looks like a cult. It's weird. And not only that, the, the children's church is in a separate building. So there's two buildings with a driveway between. You have to survive the driveway that people drive through to get your kids to children's church. Like, this is horrible. So I had all kinds of things against uh, what we were doing, and yet uh, when we sat down in our seat, there was maybe, you know, 40, 50 people in the room, and uh, the pastor opened up his Bible, and he began in Psalm 87, and he literally just sat on a swivel stool, and he just taught the Bible. Like, I have never in my life heard anybody just teach and then he was so real, like he just seemed like a real guy just talking about the Word of God, like this is crazy. So the next week, I'm like, well, we might as well go back and try it again. Angela seemed to have a good time. Uh, I wasn't quitting any of the stuff I was doing, but I'm like, look, she's happy, I'm happy, we'll go back. And then he taught uh, Psalm 88. And then the next week, he taught Psalm 89. I'm like, well, I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, but would you ask your friend that invited us if he's in some kind of sermon series here? And uh, so she did. She said, you know, is this a sermon series or something? And the lady laughed. She's like, yeah, you could say that. Um, we teach verse by verse through the Bible. So we've been in this sermon series for a year, and we're going to be in it for another year because there's 150 psalms. <laughs> like, that's some kind of sermon series. And yet, through that just simple Bible teaching, uh, for the first time in my life, as a kid that grew up in church, I was actually learning about the Word of God. And it was unbelievable. I mean, there's, there's so many things that just blew my mind as the pastor worked through things. And, and then we ended up at the end of November, November the 22nd. And uh, by this time, the, the dissolution of the business was in rare form. I mean, people were, were, we were at each other as business partners. Things weren't going well. And, and it, we were on the verge of a lawsuit. And so uh, we, I had documents in my email that I could sign, I could not sign, but if I signed them, it, it essentially meant I was walking away from everything that I'd invested up to that point, uh, which to some might not be a lot, but to me, it was a big deal, and I'm unemployed. And so uh, on November the 22nd, we were in Psalm 94, and I'll go there with you, um, because for the first time that I can remember in my life, the Lord, through the Word of God, spoke to me. And here's what he said in verse uh, 12. He said, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity. And then skipping down to verse 18, If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. And so the, the, the pastor is teaching through this, and, and what the crux of his, uh, of his teaching was is that God uses ungodly people oftentimes to discipline his children. And he went through this whole rant about the, the Babylonians and the Israelites being taken into captivity by Babylon, but, but the point for God was really to discipline his children. And, and to sort of summarize all that, he went to, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. 
And there in Hebrews 12, 7, this is what um, the writer to the Hebrews says. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And so I, I, for the first time, maybe ever, maybe in a long time, as a kid that was saved at the age of seven and baptized, but then walked away, I realized I'm his son. If he's disciplining me, he's using this situation to discipline me, I'm no genius, but what that ultimately means is he considers me his. And the Lord spoke to me, and what he said very clearly in my head through Scripture was, go home and sign those papers, and I'll take care of the rest. So by faith, we left church that day. I went directly down to my office, and I signed those documents, and I scanned them, and I emailed them, all by faith. Because, again, to us, we were essentially going to lose around $50,000 in a period of just a month and a half. Like, it just gone. It was just out of there. And yet this incredible peace that I had, because I knew for the first time that I was his son, and he was using all this as discipline. So then, uh, fast forward then several months, and, and what happened is uh, Bible teaching, just continually listening to the word of God, God began to break stuff down. He began to, to change things in my heart, in my mind. He began to, to shake all kinds of things loose. Uh, hadn't quit drinking yet. Uh, that didn't happen until uh, April of 2016. And, and essentially, uh, what, what happened there is God showed me that anything that I was unwilling to deal with, anything that, that caused me to sin, and I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and say alcohol is a sin. I'll tell you for me it was. It was a stumbling stone. It was something I relied upon in place of God. And so anything I was willing to let be in between him and I was going to ultimately completely trip me up. And so I, I had to deal with that. And, and in April of 2016, I remember it well, I, I took all the alcohol in the bar area I had downstairs, which was also my office. So by the way, if you're an alcoholic, having your office double as a bar, not a great idea. Um, I loaded it all up into the trash can. And I mean, it had to have been thousands of dollars worth of booze all in there. And I didn't have enough guts to actually... Uh, to untwist the tops and dump it out. I just put full bottles and everything in there. I, I wheeled this sucker out to the road, and the trash guy came, hooked onto it, tore the whole handle off the trash can, trying to get this thing. I probably should have unloaded it. That didn't express the love of Jesus right there to the poor trash guy, but I did get rid of it all at once, and, and it was gone out of my life. It was like a pressure relieved. So as I'm driving around just listening to Bible teaching, because as a person with an addictive personality, as the same guy that couldn't have a beer, I had to have 13. That also meant that I had to have, uh, I couldn't have a Bible teaching, I had to have 13. So I'm listening to as much of the word as I could get my hands on. And in the process, uh, the Lord spoke again. And he said, you're going to have to tell this story. <laughs> like, oh, really? I'm going to have to talk about this? Uh, and then you, you wouldn't believe this, but just a few days later, I got asked uh, to share my story. And the guy came up to me in church, and he said, hey, would you mind on a Wednesday night just sharing your testimony? Now, they barely knew me, didn't know any of my story, and I said, yeah, kind of knew you were going to ask. So, yes, I will share. So then on May the 4th, uh, 2016, I got up in front of uh, probably 100 people, and I shared uh, my story. I, I, I talked about my struggles in my marriage, my dealing with alcohol, what God was doing in my life, 
And so it just laid it all out there for these people. And it was just like this weight was just lifted off my shoulders. Now then the following day, May the 5th of 2016, was our daughter's birthday. Now again, we didn't know that many people in the area, and so we decided to uh, go on a camping trip. We're going to go up to the city, and uh, we'll park outside of Six Flags there at Yogi Bear Park. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to just spend the weekend camping as a family. So I'm there in the camper on May the 5th, and just uh, cleaning away, doing my thing, trying to stay out of Angela's way as she's packing the entire house up because, you know, you need everything you could possibly get your hands on for a two-day camping trip. Um, no sarcasm in that. It, so as I'm cleaning, I feel this, uh, like this presence in the camper, and I can't explain it other than to say uh, it, was, it was almost like a heavy but like a comfortable heavy. And so as the, the presence filled the camper, I, I fell down on my knees. And I landed down you know, face first on the couch, and I knew what it was. I'm like, this is, this is the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit actually here with me. And so as I, I, I face first, I'm on the couch, tears are just running down my face. I just said, Lord, whatever you would have me do, wherever you'd have me go, I will go, I will do it, you just tell me. And he said, uh, very clearly, uh, feed my sheep. I said, yes, Lord, I will feed your sheep. I will, I will go wherever you tell me to go. And, and he said, feed my sheep. Yes, Lord, I heard you. Yes, no, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I'm like, Lord, I'm thick-headed, but I'm getting the picture. You want me to feed your sheep. I, I get it. It's all yours. Anything you want, you can have it. And then... He let me stand up. So I was able to stand, and as the, the presence kind of lifted, I got to my feet, and he said these two things. He said, in two years, everything's going to change, and be prepared to move. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I, I, I literally had to have looked like I had seen a ghost. I just experienced the Holy Ghost. Now, the best description I've ever gotten of this, and if you've ever had a Holy, Holy Spirit run in, it's like getting hit with a fruit truck. Uh, if you survive the impact, it's the sweetest thing you'll ever experience. And that's the way it felt. Like this just warm hug, but then also like this terrified, exciting feeling uh, that, that I didn't talk about until we were halfway to St. Louis. I mean, I just, I, Angela had to know something was wrong because I didn't come in and start growling at everybody to get their stuff out. Like normally, she's like, normally he's a jerk by now. He's being really nice. And so she had to know something was up. I wasn't growling at people, but we all get in the, uh, in the truck, and we're pulling the camper down the road, and uh, halfway there, I'm like, look, you're not going to believe this, but I think I just got called into ministry, and she looked at me, and she said, yeah, I could kind of see that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Nobody can see that. She's like, no, I could kind of see that. When you were up there last night, it just uh, yeah, I could see that. I'm like, come on, and this is why I call her the blonde Holy Spirit. Like the blonde Holy Spirit sometimes talks into your life. So in this moment, she knew, uh, and I shared with her, like he said, in, in two years, everything's going to change, and we need to be prepared to move. So I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Zambia, Zimbabwe, some other country that starts with a Z. I don't know, but we're going to be going somewhere, and we got to be ready. And she said, look, anywhere you want to go, anywhere the Lord tells you, I'll follow you. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so... I looked over to her and I said, boy, I sure hope it's not home. Because <laughs> that would be hard. Like Zambia would be harder. 
And so uh, we continued on with our lives. Like right, right in the back of my head, I'm thinking there's this countdown clock, and yet uh, I'm just going to keep on going. I didn't share with anybody other than my pastor that story. So he's the only one I told, and he and I at this point started meeting regularly. Every week, we would get together, we would pray, we'd have lunch. Uh, he, would send me, he would give me books or Bible teachings. He was just investing in me. And then uh, around November of 2017, he said, hey, I've been praying through this. Uh, I think you need to be in the teaching rotation on Wednesday nights. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I think you need to start teaching the Bible at Parkland Chapel on Wednesday nights. I'm thinking, I've never even read the whole Bible. Like, I'm trying really hard, but I'm not through the book yet. You better get through the book before you teach the book. And so like a madman, then I, I scrambled as fast as I could to try to finish reading the Bible. And uh, as you can see up here in January 2017, yes, I did finish the book before I taught the book. Uh, in January, uh, the first week of January, I taught for the first time uh, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. As you can see, I was just as witty then as I am now. To seed or not to seed, that's some kind of message title. Uh, that's probably as good as that message got. It's probably went downhill after the title. But uh, I got the opportunity to teach the Bible for the first time then. And after that, began to have chances to then serve in an assistant pastoral type of a role. You know, I, I was part of the, you know, building projects. Those things kind of fell on my lap and, and just got to serve in any way or any capacity we could as a family uh, we served. So then in uh, fast forward again uh, to the following year, I think that's where I'm going to go. Give it a second. It'll catch up to me. Fast forward then to the following year, what happened is uh, we were asked to pray about this uh, young boy and young girl that were in our church whose parents' rights had been terminated. They were in foster care, and so we were asked to pray that someone would adopt uh, these two. And so I agreed to pray, but I was very clear with my wife. I will pray for someone, just as long as you know that someone is not me. Like, we started this whole deal out. I told you when we got married, I like me a lot, and I'm good with zero kids. And we already have four at this point. We had our little surprise Madeline baby that we got when we got to Farmington, which when you work from home and uh, you move away from everybody, you get a surprise baby. I don't know if you knew that, but that comes with the package deal. So we already had four. Like, look lady, we don't need more people in this house. I guess it's already full. And so uh, God changed my heart like he does so often. And he told me in a very clear way, he has to communicate clearly with me because I'm thick-headed uh, that these two were ours. And so we adopted uh, Will and Brooklyn uh, that next year, actually. But what happened is uh, on May the 4th, 2018, we sat at our kitchen table, and the lady at DCFS, she sat and she signed the paperwork that said, they're going to move in with you at the end of the month. And she slid it across the table, and I looked at the date, and it was two years to the day that God said everything's going to change. It wasn't the way I was expecting it to be. It wasn't what I had in mind, but let me tell you, when you go from a three to four, it's a big change. You go from four to six, everything changes. You look like a stinking weirdo everywhere you go. You drive a gigantic van everywhere you go people ask you questions like don't you know what causes that <laughs> yeah never heard that one before buddy and and i loved uh, that the twins they had heard this so many times they would just look at people in walmart and they would go we have our hands full because <laughs> like, that was people said you must have your hands full yeah yeah we have our hands full yeah so this is this is what the lord had in mind everything 
change for us. And I love what the Lord says in Psalm 127, uh, verse 5. I'll go there for you quickly for the sake of time. Um, this is a verse that he gave. He said, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a full quiver of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so a full quiver we definitely had. And what that scripture says is that as we grow old, that these were actually like warriors in our quiver, that they will speak with our enemies at the gate. So someday my boys are going to be able to go to the gate and talk the enemy down on my behalf because they're my warriors. And so this is what the Lord was up to. But then that means the second part of the prophecy still has to take place. So in my mind, I'm like, well, we're already packed in this house now. We've got to move to a bigger home. And so we did. We moved just from one end of town uh, to the other, and we moved to a bigger house, a place where we had a little bit more room to, to move. And, and then the Lord just started doing stuff. I mean, Parkland Chapel started to grow. If you remember back the creepy uh, green buildings that were there alongside the road, those buildings got painted. We added a building in the middle of the buildings. We added a children's church building. We added a pavilion over the top of the concrete pad of the hill. And this property, that which looked like it was just a wasteland, became this beautiful place that God completely rehabilitated. And in this small church, we got to see grow to 350, 400 people started showing up. And, and we, we would go weeks where the children's church would have almost 100 kids. It was just teeming with life. Uh, and then in October, I get ordained as a pastor. I mean, officially, you know, I'm, I've been serving in this role, but I, I'd get officially ordained. And it was like living in Christian Disneyland. You know, we, we, every week I got to get up and teach, and, and I didn't have to do all the stuff, and, and yet I got to, you know, get up and just share the Word of God with people. It was amazing. And then uh, in January of 2019, uh, I had one of those, the first of two uh, fateful meetings. And this one started actually in, at Christmas time uh, in uh, 2018. I text a guy that I had worked with in the past, my old boss, Alex Melvin. And I'd sent him a text, and I said, Hey, uh, Merry Christmas to you and, and the wife and kids. Just hope you guys are doing good. And he and I had stayed in contact uh, through the years anyway. And he replied back that we should get together for lunch sometime. And this is someone I've been praying for uh, for years uh, to figure out some way to connect and reach him in terms of salvation. And so uh, I'm headed in January to have lunch with him, and all along the way I'm like, I'm going to get to share Jesus. He's going to get to come to know the Lord. I can just feel like you're up to something, God. This is exciting. And so we get there, we sit down at lunch, and before we could even order, he leans over and he says, i got to tell you something. It's so exciting. Uh, in March of 2018, I accepted Jesus. I'm like, oh. That's awesome. Now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, that was my job. I was going to get to do that. But what, what transpired is we had this wonderful uh, lunch back and forth. And, and then the, for the next several months, it was just encouragement. Back and forth uh, encouragement for me as he would share things that are going on. And, and the same way back from him, my direction, and sharing Bible verses. And as the Lord is working in our lives... Uh, then in May, he said, hey, would you mind coming back to the office? I want to talk to you about economic development in Coles County. So he knew for me, I still have a heart for the people of Coles and Clark and Cumberland Counties and, and, and just talking about the, the economy, what Rural King could do. And so I sat down with him, and we had this meeting, and everything was great. And, and then everybody got dismissed except just him and I. And he said, 
look, uh, you're going to think this is crazy, but the Lord told me to offer you a job. I'm like, well, that's great, um, but I don't need a job. I, I have my own company. Like, things are going pretty good. He's like, okay, well, just, just pray about it. I'm like, what? Like, what's the job? He's like, I don't know. The Lord just told me to offer you a job. He didn't say, what job? I'm like, oh, okay. It would have been nice if you would have asked for some specifics. Um, so I said, look, I, I will pray about this. I, I, will, I will give it to the Lord in prayer. And so uh, I did for the next several weeks and months. I told Angela what's going on. Uh, we, we went in June to vacation down in Florida. I said, would you pray with me on the way to Florida? And she's like, look, I don't want to move back. So no, I'm not going to pray with you. I'm like, what? thought you had to pray if I asked you to. She's like, no, not doing it, big boy. So she just slept the whole way to Florida, refused to pray. Um, but I prayed while she slept, and uh, I prayed nice things about her. So what, what also happened at the same time is we had nine projects going on. And do, do, you, do you believe that out of the nine projects we had, every single one of them had a problem? <laughs> not, and not a little problem. I mean, like, major boo-boo problem with all nine. We could have withstood uh, one problem. We could have withstood two or three or four, but we had nine for nine. I'm like, look, I've seen the Lord move in my life before. He is trying to get my attention. He knows I am thick-headed. And so I said, I, I think we're supposed to move back. Like, I think this is what God's up to in our life. And so in September... Of 2019, uh, we officially made it clear that we are moving uh, back to Charleston, back to the area. And, and I also want to point out, I, I've joked with you guys about coming back home and how hard that's going to be. Uh, when God calls you into a thing, he gives you a heart for the thing. You understand what I'm saying with that? Like, you may have fear and trepidation and you not want to do something, but when he calls you into it, he will give you a heart that is, I, I can do no other and that was very much uh, my heart in this spot. It was that I can do uh, no other thing. It, it, it had to be this way. And so, uh, and, and Angel was very much the same way. So in September, we make our plans uh, known to people that we're coming back. We tell our church. It was, it was like this happy, sad moment. The folks here were happy and there were sad, but happy for us. And, and so uh, I begin thinking about, okay, how is church going to work? I've still been called into ministry. I've got a job now working for Rule King, but how is this going to look uh, being called into to ministry? And so I what we're going to do is the, what every other Calvary Chapel does. They start a church in the basement and see how God grows it from there. And, and so we're going to go build a house. We've owned a lot in Riley Creek since before Cameron was born. We've had this thing for 10 years. I've been paying taxes on this stupid thing for 10 years. Clearly, God wants us to build a house and start a church in a basement. And so uh, what the Lord did is he took me, as I was praying through this thing, to Haggai, and so I'm going to go with you. I know you guys spend a lot of time in Haggai. You love your minor prophets. Um, but this is what uh, the Lord said through uh, Haggai the prophet. Uh, the word of the Lord, verse 3, came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not uh, filled with drink. You're, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 8, go 
to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Like, whoa. So here I am. I'm all worried about building my paneled house. And the Lord says, look, you, you haven't built my house first. And what he told me is, uh, you find the church and I'll take care of the house. I go, okay, that, that's different. So I told Angela, like, I think we're supposed to find the church first and then God's going to give us the home. So uh, we continued to pray through it. We, we decided to tell uh, different friends of ours back here, and, and some of them that we told were uh, Hadley and Melissa Phillips. And so we were over at their house. Our kids are about the same age as their kids, and we told them the exciting news, and they all cheered. And then in conversation, I told Hadley, I'm like, look, uh, we're supposed to also plant a church, too. It's kind of exciting. He goes, wow, you don't say. We own two church buildings. I'm like, what? Who in the world owns two churches? Never mind. You guys would own two church buildings. Yeah, I get it. The Phillips says, if anybody's going to own two churches, it's going to be Reggie. So uh, he's like, would you like to look at them this next week? I'd be happy to, you know, give you a tour. So I'm like, sure, yeah, it'd be great. Um, so uh, again, we, we go to the Lord in prayer. I'm like, Lord, if, if there's any way for us to be like in a neighborhood, uh, someplace that could maybe even be on campus or, you know, close to it. And, and gosh, it'd be nice to have a little bit of property just to do stuff outside. And so the first place I set foot is here. <laughs> like, thank you, Lord. That's even better than I could have imagined. So uh, we walk into uh, this, this church right off the bat, and, and God just made it clear, like, this is a spot for you. He paved the way. And so in December of 2019, Oh, wait, 2008, which year is this? This is 2021. There we go, 2019, I got it. Uh, we bought Woodlawn Chapel. So now here, we've done our part, Lord. We've got uh, the church building all taken care of, and yet uh, you don't have a house for us. But there's all these houses all around, and there's more south of town. And so we looked at houses, and we looked at houses, and then the pandemic hit. And we kind of couldn't look at houses, and then we looked at them again and online, and literally nothing fit. Nothing was right. And so, like, clearly I misheard God. You ever done that? Like, I didn't hear God right. I still have this thinking lot on Riley Creek. I think he's okay with us building a house in the other end of town, and uh, we need to just get going because it's already April, and we have no house, and we got to move the kids here in just a couple months. And so uh, I sent off money to an architect. We were just going to build the exact same house we had. Like, this will be easy. We'll just build the same house. We don't have to think about it. And uh, I sent my money into the architect. He started on plans. That was on a Monday. And then Tuesday morning, uh, on my phone, bloop, here's Zillow. Uh, there's a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bathroom house on Carriage Lane. I'm like, where? It's like 5 a.m. Like, where is Carriage Lane? And at this point, I'm living like a creepy man in a camper out here by the church. So that was a part of the story I forgot. My bright idea was I'll park the camper next to the church and just uh, use the church's utilities. And, and uh, Rule King was kind enough because I wasn't staying in a hotel they didn't have to pay. They would pay the church's utilities. I'm like, listen, it's a win-win, great deal. So I'm living like a creepy guy in a camper on a church parking lot. And I, I see this, and it says the location is near you. And so I pull it up, and it's literally a, a three-minute not drive, walk around the corner to this house. So I'm like, Lord, is this a spot for us? So I, I do a little bit of research, get ready to look at the house, and uh, I ask about property taxes. If you live in Coles County, you know to ask about the taxes because it's going to be bad. 
I asked, and they said the taxes last year were zero. I'm like, how were the taxes zero last year? Lo and behold, the owner is a First Baptist Church of Charleston. It was a parsonage. So I'm like, oh my gosh, the Lord's going to give us a parsonage that was a parsonage. So uh, we end up buying a little house literally around the corner. The Lord held up his end of the bargain. And the, uh, because I had little faith, the architect kept half my money for my deposit. So that, that's your lesson about faith right there. He sent half of it back, but he kept the other half. So anyway. So then the next piece is, all right, now it's, now it's April and May and June, and we've been praying about uh, starting the church. What in the world does it look like for worship then? So uh, I'm not musically talented. I've sang with you guys enough times that you know he's right, not musically talented. And so uh, we don't have uh, anyone. I've asked a couple different people from Farmington, and they weren't that interested. I'm like, I don't know what God's going to do, but I guess we're going to have to play YouTube videos in, in, in praying through this, I'm like, Lord, it would be awesome if we had somebody younger than us, especially, you know, a couple, something, somebody just kind of bring a younger vibe, because I'm, I'm 41, and things are not, I'm not getting younger, I'm a very young-looking 41, but still, you know, uh, wh- you know, would you provide in any way, and, and absolutely zip came up, until my mom and dad are sitting at the dinner table, and she has a business card from this young couple that had been playing at a campground of all places because, uh, oh, by the way, you're going to plant a church in a pandemic. And so every gig they had got uh, pretty much squelched for 2020. And so they're playing in a campground for some friends. And, and I get this business card. I'm like, well, I guess it's worth a shot. You know, kids went to Greenville College. They've been leading worships. I mean, getting all this story from mom and dad. I'm like, I'll at least reach out. We'll see what happens. He's from Casey. I'm from Casey. At least we've got a Clark County connection. And so uh, I reach out and I email Jake. And he, within hours, responds back that they would love to get together for dinner sometime. I just left it as dinner and to talk about openings at the church. Now, what he didn't know when I said we have an open uh, calendar at the church, that it was wide open, as in like nothing filled. But I didn't tell him that part. I just said, we've got a few openings. Uh, so we sat down and immediately had a connection with these two. They, they were young. They're exciting. Uh, I got to listen to a little bit of their stuff on, on the YouTubes, and so I'm like, they're, they're really good too, um, but I'm not going to push because my way is to push something, to force it to being done, and, and so I just said, listen, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, like if you guys want to come, uh, you want to come, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, I mean, we've got a wide open schedule, but, you know, you guys pick and choose what works out for you, and so uh, they agreed to pray about it and let us know when they would have time for us, you know, what dates they could fill, and I would fill in the rest somehow. Uh, two days later, I got a, a text from Jake, and he said, listen, we've been praying about this, and we would like to come and be uh, full-time with you at Woodlawn Chapel as your worship leaders. I'm like, what? I was driving back from uh, lunch that day. I just happened to stop home for lunch, and like, I cried like a baby all the way home. I'm like, Lord, like, I, I didn't know you were going to actually provide. <laughs> I mean, I know you're Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider, but I didn't know you were really going to provide and provide people that were good. Like, I would have taken somebody awful. I didn't tell them that, but I'm like, I was just hoping for somebody that didn't suck really bad and, and not people that were really talented. And so we have now a worship team at Woodlawn Chapel. And, uh, then September 13th, 
2020 rolls around, and, and we have the first service here, a date that we'd picked out way back in December. One of the pieces of advice that my pastor gave me, he said, look, pick a date. Pick a date, throw it out there. You never know what God's going to do. He might move it, but at least if you got a date, you've got something that's going to happen or not happen. But you, you can let the Lord move. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9. Man plans his ways, and the Lord directs his steps. And so that's exactly what we did. We planned, let the Lord direct, and he didn't uh, change a single thing about that date. Now, there was a worldwide pandemic we didn't know about, uh, but yet uh, people showed up. To my amazement, people showed up. And I'm such a, I'm so oblivious to things, like I never really considered the fact that people might not show up until September the 13th. Like, that's how dumb I am. I just am walking here, I'm like, Lord, people, nobody might come. Like, this might be really awful. Um, but let's just, I mean, it's too late now. The lights are on. And so what I want to, uh, what I want to leave you with in this section is from Philippians chapter 3. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, But what things were gained to me, these things I count for loss. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So what the Apostle Paul, in looking at his life, and he was a guy that was push for success. He was a successful guy at a young age. And he looks back on his life and all the things he pursued that were all wasted. And, and, and yet he, he, he counts them as rubbish. And this is a little bit PG-13, but the word he uses for rubbish is a steaming pile of feces. <laughs> that's what he actually, that's the word he says. I'll save you the expletive, but Paul is saying that's what I count it all as in comparison with gaining Christ. That everything I'd strived and worked and challenged myself to get, it was all rubbish compared to getting to do this, to gain Christ. And so, following Jesus gives us the ability to leave everything, to live through anything so that we and others might gain the greatest thing. And that's really the challenge we have before us, right? As God calls you into a thing, he's going to give you the ability to leave seemingly everything, and you'll be able to live through anything, and then you'll be able to gain the greatest thing. And so that's the things which I have seen, and perhaps the longest intro ever into the State of the Church Address. So then we have to ask from there what, what things are. And so a question that comes up, do we really need another church in Charleston? I mean, really? Like, there's churches everywhere. Do we need another church? And so as a follow-up to that, we have to ask ourselves is, what makes us distinct? What makes us different than every other church? Because the reality is, if we're going to do church just like everybody else does church, we'd be far better off just going and joining that place. And this is not to make other churches bad. It's to point out that we are here to provide a balanced approach specifically between encouraging the gifts of the Spirit. We still believe that the gifts of the Spirit today are very much as alive as they were in the book of Acts. As the Holy Spirit came and descended down upon the church and gave them the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis power is what Jesus promised, literal dynamite power that he was going to give them, that dynamite power still exists today. 
Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the gifts of the Spirit are still around. They're still here for us to be able to use, and we seek to combine that with foundational Bible teaching, to take the Word of God and use that as the balance between the gifts of the Spirit. And so you won't see crazy out of the order services, and yet at the same time we still want to encourage people to seek after the Lord and seek after those gifts. Uh, next, what we uh, want to be built upon is the pillars that are there in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42. And so in the book of Acts, as the new church is being established, uh, here's what is written there by the Dr. Luke. He says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so our church doctrine is going to be very simple. Our church pillars are. It's going to be based on these four things, on uh, teaching the Word of God. That's the apostles' doctrine. And our teaching is, is going to be complete through uh, the Bible teaching. It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. So we don't get to skip stuff. We're going to go through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know how many years it's going to take, but we're going to get there. And in doing so, we're going to teach through the Scriptures. And that reference I put up there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So our goal here is to give you the Word of God to equip you for the ministry that He's put in your path. To equip the saints for the ministry. What ministry? Look around. Where are you? What, what spot has He put you in? Uh, that's your ministry. It, it's not complicated. We try to make it way harder than what it actually is. So, so the, the point of going through the Scriptures is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, secondly, in fellowship, what Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I love you, that you would also love one another. My, by this, they will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How are people going to know that we're a part of the body of Christ? The way we love people? The way we come together and enjoy each other's company? There's going to be folks all over that are going to wonder what in the world is so different about what you do. It's what we just come together and love each other. And to do that, we have to be around one another. And so fellowship, that's what it looks like. This is the piece that gets disconnected. I'm so thankful for online services, but the unfortunate part about them is there's a disconnect. There's not being around other human beings, and it causes us great pains in our life. And so I'm thankful for this, and if you can't attend us here in person, by all means attend it online. But, but, but the point is for us to actually be together. It's been the hardest part of 2020 is the separation of people. And so we're going to have different opportunities to fellowship, things like, uh, which I'll get into in just a minute, getting ahead of myself. We're going to have opportunities to fellowship, like our Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, thirdly, then, is communion. We'll observe this the first week of every month. So today will be a communion Sunday. And if you consider yourself a believer in Jesus, we practice open communion. By all means, uh, take the elements and, and participate with us. It's a time of remembrance and reflection on what Christ has done for us. And then fourthly, in prayer. 
that the, the best way to be a better at prayer or to learn how to pray is, and this is earth-shattering, it's to pray. If you want to be better at prayer, pray. In your personal life, pray. Until you have enough courage to pray with others, pray. One of the things that really connected us with Parkland Chapel is those people were not afraid to pray. If someone came up after church and said, hey, I need prayer for this thing, or this is what's going on in my life, uh, they stopped and they prayed right there on the spot. Now, growing up Baptist, I'm like, that is thinking weird. You're supposed to go home and pray, not pray out loud in front of people. No, but the, the truth is it was a connection there. Like when you pray with people, it, there's this unbelievable spiritual connection that just happens. And so if you're one of those that you struggle with praying out loud in public, it starts with your personal prayer time. Find that time to just spend, even if it's just a simple, Lord, show me what you want to show me in Scripture today if you're going through our Bible reading plan. Lord, open the Word. And amazing what will happen is He'll open the Word. He'll show you things daily. So uh, with the distinctives, to get uh, more into that, what I encourage you to do is out in the lobby, there are those books out there that say the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Uh, take one. Take one for your family. Pass it around. Read through it. Pastor Chuck wrote that years ago. Uh, he passed away about seven, eight years ago. But it's just about this verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching style, the simply teaching the Bible simply. That, that's one of the catchphrases that we have. And, and even through our worship, like it's, it's designed to be simple and to be focused on Jesus. And so I want to encourage you guys to grab one of those. Um, if you like technology better, that's actually on our webpage too. So if you go to woodlawnchapel.org, click About Us, there's a place you can go and just click on the PDF and you can read through that. But anyway, I want to encourage you to, to read up. It's a quick read, 100 pages, and you can get through it. Next thing to cover with uh, what, what the things which are, I've gotten this question, or, or, or I've at least asked this question before, how do I become a member? How do I become a member? And here's how complicated it is. If uh, you like us and you call us uh, your home, uh, you're a member. Congratulations. That's it. Yay! That's all it takes. And so we don't have any uh, membership process. We don't need to go through any of that. And, and here's the deal. I want to make this clear. Membership never saved anybody. <laughs> Nobody ever entered into the kingdom of heaven because of church membership. It is all about church relationship. One in particular, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. That's it. And so you don't need to be a member of a church in order to be saved. But without you, the church doesn't function. And so uh, we, we encourage you to come, be a part, take it in, and, and if you like us, uh, we like you. Uh, that's how mo I got most of my dates in high school. If you like me, I like you. Do you have a pulse? Thank you. All right, so I didn't say, I didn't say that, did I? Was that online? Oh, man. So the next question then is, if you don't do church membership, how does your church work? What does the governmental system look like? Um, it, it's, it's very basic. We follow what's called the Moses model. So for Moses, as he was in the wilderness, he heard from God. He then gave what he heard from God to the elders. He had 72. They passed it down to the people. And so this was the style of things, and that's the same style uh, we follow. So as the pastor, uh, I pray for you guys continually. I pray about the church. The Lord gives me direction. I then let you know what that is. Certainly, if you've got an idea, direction, question, uh, the Super Bowl party was not uh, our idea. One of you had the idea to have a Super Bowl party. We're like, hey, you know what? Great idea. Let's go uh, do that thing. 
Um, but we are not a congregationally led. And so there would be no church business meetings. If you've ever been to a church business meeting, yay, no business meetings. Um, instead, we're board assisted. And so our church board, until we um, you know, grow kind of out of adolescence, probably going to be a couple years down the road, uh, we have the board of Parkland Chapel that operates as my board. So these are the men that I, uh, I answer to. We communicate back and forth. Uh, Pastor Mike Harrison, uh, Todd McKinney, who's a school principal, uh, Dave Williams, who is a director for Spire Energy, and then John Bacon, who's an athletic director at Farmington High School. Um, these are men that I have been in battle with for years now. Uh, I love them. They're my brothers. So as much as it is a board meeting, uh, it is also about being with my brothers. And so uh, I know that they always have my best interest and the interest of this church uh, continually in mind. And so to give me parameters, I report everything to them. Um, it's just a great check and balance. Um, they have never, not one time, told me no to anything. <laughs> but it is a great chance to just seek them for wisdom on things. And, and again, it also gives me accountability. And so uh, this is the model that we go with, and that's not to make other church models bad. Um, the other one you'll see in Scripture is a, a presbytery or an elder-led uh, model that you'll see in Scripture, uh, you actually don't see congregational government in Scripture. So it's not to say that it's awful or bad or not the right way. I'm just telling you, like, there's two that are in the book, um, this one and uh, the elder-led. Uh, the other one ain't in the book. So there you have it. But that's how our church uh, works. Now, all that being said, if you have any questions at all about um, church finances, our budget, any of those things, we are not going to have a meeting about it, but you feel free to ask me about it. I'll show it to you. I'll open it up. You want to see the check register? By all means. We are not hiding a single thing, but for many of you, when I say you don't have to worry about it, you go, thank the Lord. Don't want to think about that. Worry about that. But if you're curious at all, uh, feel free to ask me. I am an open book with that kind of stuff. Uh, I will tell you that one of the awesome things we get to do is uh, actually bless other uh, organizations, and so with any of the tithes we get, we actually tithe on our tithes. So 10% of whatever we get in, we immediately turn it right back around and give it out to organizations. And the four that we support are up on the board. Um, they're the Chi Alpha group that meets downstairs. That's the college group. Um, they are Bethlehem Christian Academy, the schools in Zambia. Uh, in 2022, we're going to take a trip to Zambia. Hopefully some of you will want to go with us on that, and you'll get to see those schools and see where your money's going. And uh, the third one is Open the Gates Ministry. Our friend Daniel Messiah that was here, we hope to bring him back yearly. Uh, that's exciting. And then uh, the last one is Standing Stone. So Standing Stone is what uh, Miss Don Thompson runs up here on the north end of town. It's a food pantry as well as a resale shop. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity to serve. And so we support those four ministries. And thanks to your giving uh, this past year, we were able to give uh, almost $9,000 away to just those four ministries. So we go, you know, we go for just those. We don't spread it out all over. We choose to go um, deep into uh, those four ministries. And so I want to thank you guys for what God has put on your heart, and then he's directed it back out to bless others. That's why we're here, to be a blessing to the community. So that's the things which are, and if you have any other questions, again, about our government, about our style, what we do, I want to encourage you to find me, ask those things, and then uh, where we'll end up is what will take place after this. And so the what's next. If 
Uh, you were following along with me in Acts when I was there in chapter 2, verse 42, and you skipped down just a little bit. Uh, verse 47, this is what continued to take place uh, in the early church. They were praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's why we're here, right? To add to the church daily, to the kingdom of heaven, those who are being saved. And look, God did that. The Lord added. No person did that. No, no, no man sitting on a swivel stool. No person sitting in a congregation. The Lord did that. But he chose to use you. What a blessing. He chose to use you to be the vessel in which that can be accomplished. And so we, we pray continually that the church will be added to daily so that people can come to know Jesus. And then the practical things that we're going to see in the future, they're going to be happening soon. And, and you might have heard me say this before, that the practical needs to be in place so that the spiritual can happen. And so some of the practical things that are going to happen in 2021, this thing right behind me is a baptismal. That's not just a fancy wall. There's actually a big old bathtub right behind there. We're going to open that wall up. This opening, we're going to have the baptismal functional. I don't know how yet, but it's going to function. So we got a new water heater somebody blessed us with, and so we're looking to see that thing uh, be in operation because uh, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. Right? Baptism isn't for salvation, but it's a picture of the old man going down, the new man coming up, and so as people come to be saved, we want to see them baptized as a public profession of their faith. Uh, secondly, we're looking forward to a new kitchen. If you've been down to uh, the downstairs, there's a, a kitchen that is functional, a little bit creepy. And so we're looking to get rid of the little bit creepy kitchen and put in a little bit nicer kitchen. Again, this fellowship piece that we're looking to do, uh, it's exciting. And so we want folks to feel free to come in and enjoy that space. And so we're looking for those practical things as ways to then be able to invite people to church. Hey, uh, I know you, you may not be a church person, but come have lunch with me. Uh, there just happens to be a church service before lunch. You know, those kind of things. You get to trick people into coming to church. No, not really. Uh, but we'll have fellowship opportunities, right? Fellowship opportunities like the Super Bowl event that's going to be coming up here in a few weeks. That's the kind of thing you get to invite folks into. They may not be all about church, but they're all about the pigskin. And so come in, enjoy our food, enjoy our ice cream, and just hang out together. Uh, and then in uh, for Good Friday, I think it's the 2nd of April, we're going to have what we call the Agape Feast. That's our time to just get together as a church to just enjoy a nice meal. So we'll, we'll have some folks probably provide some food. We'll have some food catered in. It'll be a combination of things for this Agape Feast that'll happen on Good Friday. We'll have music and a short message. And that's just, again, another way to invite people in. Uh, we're hoping to be able to set that up here with round tables in the sanctuary. Should be pretty cool. And then something that's a repeat that we did last year, the Live on the Lawn event. We're looking forward to in the first part of October to be able to have a live music event. Jake and the band will be out there playing music. Uh, we'll probably ask you guys to do some chili for a chili cook-off. Uh, we'll see which one of you wants to be second place behind me in the chili cook-off. Uh, listen, it's not just second, you're the first loser. I mean, the, the next closest to being a winner. That'll be you. So if any of you wants to come and get second place in the chili cook-off, that'll be your opportunity to do that the first part of uh, October. And again, another way to encourage the community. There are so many lost people in these apartments and houses all around. They need Jesus. And so what, what better way than to just, hey, come hang out outside. You know, the Holy Ghost maybe don't get you if you're outside. You'll be okay.
And so then, the spiritual things, the vision for this church. Um, two things I, I want to leave you with when it comes to vision, both out of the book of Isaiah. Um, the first was one uh, that was laid on my wife's heart just about um, a year ago when we were uh, pondering on Woodlawn Chapel. It's from Isaiah 35. I'm going to skip down halfway through verse 6. For the waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. And so what she saw when she looked at this church was parched ground receiving water and pools of water for people to come and get a drink. If you don't think people are thirsty out there, go to Walmart. Go to Aldi's. Go anywhere you want to go and you will find hungry thirsty people and they are searching for whatever they can find hope in and they cannot find it. If I couldn't find it in my journey through the American dream, they ain't going to find it. They're not going to find it in Walmart digging through the $5 movie bin. It just doesn't happen. It's not there. And so uh, this is what she saw coming forth from this church that was at one time a deserted place for three years sitting empty and springs of water uh, pouring forth from it. And then what the Lord put on my heart for this year uh, really is coming into the church. Uh, one, of my, one of my prayers was, God, you're calling us to plant a church in a pandemic. Like, who in the world is going to show up in a pandemic to church? And what are you up to? Can you just tell me what you're doing? And what he told me very clearly was, I'm purifying my bride. So, folks, if you are here in church in this season, it's because you want to be church. That's why you're here. You're being purified, sifted as the bride of Christ. Like there's every excuse in the world not to come, and yet you come. Week in and week out, you come. Thank you for that, but you are being purified as the bride. And here's what he gave me a day or two ago, Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So this is what we're here to receive. Robes of righteousness. That just sounds awesome, doesn't it? Like a robe of righteousness. I've got all these filthy rags, this messed up, jacked up stuff that is me, and yet he is willing to give me a robe of righteousness exchange. And so that's what the purification of the bride is all about, making her ready for her groom. And so I believe very soon uh, we will get the opportunity to see him. And I'm so looking forward to it. But in the meantime, our responsibility is bringing people in so they can partake in the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for a testimony, Lord. Thank you for a calling. Um, and Father, any time, at least for me, that I go back and doubt what you're up to, I can take joy in a calling. So thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that gives, you know, messed up engineers turned construction guys turned preachers the Word of God. It doesn't even make sense. And yet in your economy, it does. And so I thank you for it, Lord. I praise your holy name. Thank you for giving us 
robes of righteousness in, in exchange for our filthy rags. Thank you for adorning us with jewels. We praise you for that. Father, as we get ready to take communion here this morning, please help us as we just reflect on your word, as we just think about what you're up to, Lord, and what all you've given. That as the Apostle Paul looked and he saw his former life as rubbish compared to knowing you, you literally left everything to come down for us. You walked away from glory in heaven to come down and save us. We were the prize. And so, Lord, so much of this I don't get. I don't understand why you would look upon me as a prize in any way, and yet you did. So I want to thank you for that. Publicly, openly, I want to acknowledge that you are my God, and I'm so thankful for you. So, Lord, please lead us into this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jake plays, I just want to encourage you guys to go and take uh, the elements. You can take them back to your seat, and uh, we'll take them all together in just a minute after this song.
I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. As the Apostle Paul was addressing the Corinthian church and speaking of the Lord's Supper, this is what he shares in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the bread of life. Thank you, Father, for giving it to us, for coming down for us, for blessing us, Lord, with salvation. We're so very grateful that you allowed yourself to be broken on our behalf. And we thank you and we remember in Jesus' name. Amen. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Father, we thank you so much for the cup. Lord, we thank you for taking on the wrath that was pointed towards us, that we so deserved, and yet because of the mercy that you had upon us, you chose to take it upon yourself. And so we thank you for the blood that you poured out there upon the cross. And again, we remember, Lord, we're so grateful we're thankful for mercy, and then we're thankful for grace, for giving us what we do not deserve. And so as we reflect upon our fallen state, Lord, with a smile, we get to think about the state that you've given to us, to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, it doesn't even sound right, and yet it is. We're so very grateful, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing song, Glorious Day. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not Alive, all my failures I try to hide. 
it was my tune till I met you. Call my name. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness to your glorious day. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness to your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you, oh, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness to your glorious day. When you called my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness to your glorious day. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. But you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. Cause when you call my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness. Your glorious day. Oh, you called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, to your glorious day. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Woo. It's okay, you can clap. So come on, clap. Come on. Man. All right. Thank you guys so much for being patient. I know we went a little bit long today, um, but if you've ever had a, a story at all like mine, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle of it, uh, let's, let's talk about that thing, because God wants us to share with one another. He wants us to bear one another's burdens. What a wonderful thing to get to bear each other's burdens. So that's what the family of Christ is all about. So thank you guys so much. If you need prayer, I'll be hanging around. God bless you. Mm-hmm.